Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready? Hey, guys. Come on. Bring it in. Welcome back to the podcast dedicated to the most precious human pastime. I sit down with friends, idols, and inspirations of mine to shoot the breeze about music, life, whatever. I'm Gregory Porter, and this is The Hang. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually drinking a whiskey right now. Oh, good, because <laughs> I had tea and I'm going enough for drinking tea. <laughs> cheers. Lord, cheers. When you hear her sing, it's hard not to fall in love, but spend some time with her and it becomes impossible not to. He said, I discovered you. And I said, yes, you did, but you didn't tell anybody about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to welcome to The Hang, Amelda May. And I put all the joys and the heartbreaks and the pains and the, the hope and the, everything I have, I definitely put into a song when I sing it. Otherwise, I don't see the point. So here. Sit back, grab a drink, let's get into it. Emelda, welcome to, welcome to The Hang. Um, you know, we just talk about uh, any and everything, but such a strange time, such a strange time. It's very strange, yes. How are you coping? Honestly, it's it's been extraordinarily. It's been difficult. I, I you know I lost my. I've said it. I pro, I may say it on every uh, time I talk to somebody now, but it's just fact. I lost my my closest person, my my brother, uh, to this uh, this pandemic, and and he's he's just a year older than me. Oh, um, but, I didn't know that. I'm sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's made it that's made it really. Really difficult, more serious. Well, it's made it real for made you, real. not something that you're just. It's real. You're it's not, not just reading about it. That's happened to someone yeah, it's else. Not, it's, it's not just the number. I mean, you know, we had so yeah. many plans, and yeah. he he was a, like a really big part of my my career, mm. and 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 really pro- just propelling me. You know, that's somebody that's next to you. That's like you can do it. Come on, you can do that. You you know, you know, he was that for me. So I I. Does it make you angry? You know that when you hear of him as a statistic, not a person, and yeah, I, just um, a number, and does yeah. it make you angry when you see people deny it? Oh, oh, oh! You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna say something about my president when he said, um, basically, he was like, you know, man up and control COVID. Don't let it control you. Don't let, con- you know, it, it just, it just broke my heart. You know, because my brother was a fighter. You know, he's a he's he's a he he fought for me. You know, he's a fighter, and uh, and he he didn't make it. But but when when uh, Trump said, um, "Don't let it control you," it just broke my heart. And and I I was watching the news, and I just you know, I just wept. Yeah, well, but- I don't think um, I don't think Trump is um, is your president. <laughs> I don't. 
I dispute that part. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think he's anybody's president except his own. Yeah, except his own. You just you just said it. You know? No, we could we could talk we could talk you know an hour an hour on 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 just that. But I'm not even going. I'm give happy him- to. <laughs> I'm I'm Irish. I'm ready for a fight. I'm not not against you, with you. No, I dig. But he he, you know what? He actually occupied. It's actually relevant to the time that we're in now because he. Of course, op- it is. It's relevant to everything. Yes. Well, he occupied my mind at the beginning of the process of writing my record. Like the first five songs were just me responding to to something that he did. And I was like, I, I stopped. I stopped that. I, st- I was like, no, he's doing to me artistically what he's doing to Americans mm. and even people around the world. He's doing something provocative every day to stay in your head. So I was like, that's not my process. So I scrapped those songs. Eventually, he did make it in- onto the record by way of a song called Real Truth. And that song is really about, you know, the lyric is everybody now can mm. tell a lie, take it as their word, and you dare not ask why. This is no hour of make-believe. Open your mind and you'll receive the real truth. So the idea yeah. that his spokesperson and even himself can say that there are alternative truths is a lie in itself. Well, there's only there's only truth. There's only truth. There is only truth. There's only truth, right? And so that's what the song is about, you know? The thing is, is after the song is written, the story is not finished, not, n- even for you, <laughs> because therapy-wise. Because sometimes it's the live performance. It's the even continuing to listen to something that you've written and sang. Yeah. It, it still works on you for a while. Because sometimes, oh, God, yeah. oh, there's there's been some songs that I wrote and I'm and I, and you know recorded and then I listened to it a few years later and it like it, the the profundity of it, the meaning of it is so much more, so much more <laughs> sometimes. Um, yeah. Later on, I found that. Yeah, I found that on on this new album of mine and the last album. This album does a track called 11 Past the Hour. And I wrote it with a great friend of mine, Pedro Vito. It was a personal song and it was almost, um, I'm very much a lyricist. So Pedro, and I play guitar terribly. And so on this album, I, and on the last one as well, I collaborated more and co-wrote because I wanted to be moved musically. I didn't want to be limited by my own terrible uh, guitar playing so Pedro is a beautiful player and he'll play and, and so his music will take when I'm creating the melody it will make me go somewhere else by what he's playing so I'll sit and work on melody and lyrics and then he'll just keep playing. if he hits a, a hook that works for me I'll say just just keep playing that keep looping it and then I'll sit quietly and and then come out with what I need to come out with and uh, damn you so much like this me. song yeah. Is it? Is yeah. that what you do? <laughs> I just say keep going, keep going, and then, uh, and then, this one was was almost. Um, he came up. He said, "I have this little piece," and he sang. Hide your 
innocent and all your sins and all the love in the world won't be enough to help you sail through the storm. You created yourself, but you're not to blame. Dance with me, darling, dance with me, darling, forget the world. So when, when, when I was writing that dance with me, darling, forget the world, I wasn't talking to somebody else. I was writing what I wanted to hear somebody say to me. Mm. I felt I was having, I just needed to be wrapped up and minded and taken care of in a almost childlike way that we all crave sometimes. You just want, you know, your mother's arms or somebody's arms to wrap around you and tell you everything's going to be okay. Yeah. At different times in life for different reasons. And so that's what I, I was writing about. And um, just look up at the moon. And it was all about 11 past the hour. It was that intuitive. Every time I looked at a clock, it was 11, 11. And somebody told me it was this intuitive time. And it was the universe getting in touch with me. And it's a time to, to open, open your mind. And it, so I thought, what if it's the world? I need, you know, I need to, to kind of let myself go into that. However, later on, when it came to making the video, um, I was seeing all these, and uh, you know, the the refugee crisis is just totally out of hand, yeah. and all the camping in Greece was flooded, and it was just and people vilifying these 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 people who had put their children into a boat, and you think nobody nobody does that without absolutely having no other way forward. And so when it came to make the video, the song spoke to me in a totally different way. And I worked on this video all about these refugees in a boat spinning, whether, and you can't tell whether it's under the, in the stars or the sea, they're spinning through the sky and through the dark waters. And they're just people, you know, trying to, they want someone to tell them that everything's going to be okay. And it just changed the whole vibe of it for me. And it's funny how it happened. Same as on the last album I wrote, Should Have Been You, and I wrote it as a personal song. But when it came to it, there was a lot of, um, in, within politics, a lot of people felt that they weren't being represented and they should have been taken care of by their politicians. So I turned it into this rally, this march full of, you know, full of women. And uh, there was all the uh, LGBT community joined me and, there was all ages and all shapes and sizes, colors and creeds. And we all got together and we marched. It should have been you taking care of us. And that's another example where from writing it to making a video even, which is not that long. Yeah. The, you know, in between the whole meaning had changed. So when that happens over the course of years, sometimes it, it changes again and again. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. It's something beautiful about, it's something that I do with my lyric. I'm sometimes I'm purposefully, not vague, but purposefully, how shall we say, impressionistic mm. in my lyrical expressions. Not so that the shoe fits anybody and everybody around the world, but really life can be like that. I mean, I used to listen to Nat King Cole as a little boy. And when he sang, what'll I do when you are far away and I am blue. What'll I do? What'll I do with just a photograph to tell all my troubles to? Now, I used to listen to that as a little boy and think of my father. Now, when Nat King Cole was recording that, 
at, at Capitol Records, it's a completely different thing. This was a romantic song. This was a, a song of love lost, romantic love lost. But I was listening to it as a little boy who used to look at his father's picture mm. and dream of his father, right? Yeah. So the song can have a life of its own. And the story that's being told to the listener sometimes can be one totally separate from the one that you've written. And I love that. I love that about that music can do that. It can, it's like, okay, this applies to this, it applies to that, it applies to this. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, it, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just an extraordinary. I feel like a song is, I was saying this to somebody the other day, it feels like the song is, it's almost like a child, you know, that you, you, you nurture and you, you help it grow. And then you, at some point, you have to let it go out into the world. And then, and then it gets its own life. And then it, it belongs to others, you know? But, but what about when, when a child grows up and it, it, and it becomes like a teenager and it runs away from you? <laughs> <laughs> becomes a little asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you have and no then more. comes back wanting money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you have no control. It's like, oh man, it took off. It took off. You know. <laughs> and now you have to go and you have to go somewhere and represent that song that took off in the wrong way. <laughs> Do you know I I've often them um, I often wondered about that. I remember when I was a when I was a teenager, I got offered a couple of record deals that I turned down because that I wasn't interested in them at all. They wanted me to not do the music that I was doing that I loved. I started it's, it's, singing. It's amazing that you had the, the the fortitude, the strength to say no to something like that. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Well, I was only 16 in this blues club in Dublin. And uh, I think... I didn't realize that that was unusual because I was so busy. I was so engrossed in it and obsessed with it and enveloped in it. I lo- just loved it. Everything about, about all the people I met. And it was a great, it, it was a great way of learning. It was a great school. I learned a lot. I learned everything there, to be honest. That's where I re- met Ronnie Wood first. I was only 16 and he was playing. He jumped up on stage and started playing guitar. And that's how we became <laughs> friends years later. And uh, he was saying, I remember you when we met again, because I didn't see him for many years. And then we met again. I'd been working with Jeff Beck. And then Jeff said, I want to introduce you to my pal, Ronnie. And I said, I sang with you a long time ago. And he was like, you're that kid in Dublin. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe he remembered. He said, I'll, I'll never forget that. And that wow. was the, that's the line that we that we joke about, because I. He said, I discovered you. And I said, yes, you did, but you didn't tell anybody about me. (laughs) (laughs) And we've all had those moments. You're like, oh, man. So... So we, I just met I just, <laughs> I just met Ray Charles Horn player and he's gonna take me everywhere and it's like ah, so no it never ha- it didn't we, happen we beca- we become great friends and um and 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 Jeff and I am so lucky to have these um amazing friends in my life and um and that was in this little club 
So I was so into it and what I was doing that I just, I was in love with it. It just taken over my life and I was, I couldn't think of anything else. It was just music. The way teenagers get obsessed and it just, I was on fire. It was just so, I was filled with the love of it inside me, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just couldn't get enough. Isn't it and amazing? then when these record company people came and said, you know, we want to give you a record deal. And then they said, we'd like you to be the next whatever, pop thing. And I was like, how dare you? I was so insulted. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'd call them back and I never did. And then there was another one came and that happened the same. And uh, I don't know why I was, t- where did I-, I don't know how I got onto that. How did I get onto that? Uh, oh, yes. I remember it was, uh, I remember thinking years later that I was so glad that I had the balls to, to do that. For me, it was definitely about music. It was be- definitely, definitely about the love of it and the art. Um, I wasn't chasing fame in any way. I'd still be doing what I'm doing today if it didn't go well. It's just a need. Yeah. A total need yeah. for me to do that. I can't not do it. I can't not write for sure. Yeah. Um, and I can't not sing or create. Yeah. But I'm, I remember thinking years later, imagine if, and I'm sure this has happened to many people, that your head got turned by that and you did that and you hated it and you had a major hit and you had to sing that hit for the rest of your life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hell? How many people have had that happen to them and they can't get away from it for the rest of their life? Could you imagine? <laughs> there's, a couple, there's a couple of things about that. There can, there can be these hits that like, you know. <laughs> imagine having a hit you hate. <laughs> <laughs> but there, you know, the, the, this is an interesting thing because that's like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've been blessed. I've been blessed, and and things have been okay. But I, I could also deal with a hit that I, you know, I, I didn't like as well. Oh <laughs> God, I, no, I, I couldn't. <laughs> Oh, I couldn't. I can't. I can't. I even I even stop singing songs of mine that have gone off for a while. You know, an audience member shut up and I go, oh, God, no, couldn't. I can I can only sing it if I feel it. Yeah. And if no, I'm not I feeling I, it, there's no point because I will. It will not come out well. I did. It will not come across well. <laughs> but, but this is a this is a thing that can happen. I t- when that can happen is when you're when you're a hired gun, mm. when you're a hired voice. Mm-hmm. And you're given a song. They're like, we want you to do this song. And, um, you know, maybe if you're early in your career or something like that, you'll do it. Oh, yeah. And the next thing you know, mm-hmm. this song that you're just a guest artist on, you know, this it, it, can, it, it, it can define you, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, there's some people who like, like jazz singers who have done like a pop song and then. And then you find out later on, they're like, they were really a jazz singer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They were really like a hardcore jazz singer only doing the standards. And they just did this pop thing because they were a good voice and somebody heard them. And uh, Oh, I'm not knocking you know, anybody. Also- I'm not knocking anybody for because you have to pay the bills sometimes, you know? Right, 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 right. I totally no, get no, exactly. it. I, I used to, um, 
I was a function singer for a long time. I, I did every gig you can imagine. I needed to pay my bills. I stood in the corner and I sang to people's backs for three to five hours a night. And it, I learned a lot. I used to work this uh, Russian restaurant in New York. And past a certain hour, uh, I don't know, they just would just start. This was this was during the time when they had stopped all smoking in clubs in New York mm. City. And uh, I was in this club. And, you know, like past 11 o'clock, they, they were just like, well, the police are go- aren't, aren't going to come over here. Mm. You guys can do whatever you want to do. So people start smoking cigars and everything, you know. And I remember this group of people smoking cigars just right below me and blowing the smoke in my face and, uh, and my voice getting a little tight. Mm. And so I started, you know, it start it turned into this, like this, I just start blues yelling. Cause that's all I could do. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that they started to hate what I was doing. And they said, Oh, listen, listen, but listen to this though. The biggest tip I ever got, he says, I'm going to pay you to stop singing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because. Oh, my God. I went to this. Bl- I, I went to this like because I didn't have a regular voice anymore because they were blowing. Uh, yes. Smoke, you know, so I, I just went to I went to this like blues growl. Yeah. Sounds fab. Very passionate. Right. I but love what, it. But he's he's with this pretty girl and he's like he's like I I'm I I'm trying to set the mood and you you you're singing too passionately. I, <laughs> I need something like <laughs> something low. He was afraid you were gonna steal his thunder. <laughs> so that this gig what, what's wrong? This gig only paid like like um, you know, seventy five bucks, right? Yeah. And he he told me, I'm gonna give you two two hundred dollars to stop singing. And I was like, <laughs> you, "Oh my God, yes!" You, uh, you think I yes. didn't take it? <laughs> you, yo, no, do that, do that. Ask him if he needs any more. Ask him if he, I'll do one from now. <laughs> well, but listen, you mentioned something that I'm not going to let get away from me. You said the Blues Club in Dublin, and you said mm. we'll, we'll deal with Jeff Beck later, but. The Blues Club. You you are very um, vulnerable singer. Even if you start a song off with even with great confidence, there's a point in, in the song in which you go vulnerable. There's a, there's a thing in the high part of your voice that's just like it's it's a it's a person crying out, and that's a, that's what's special about you. And I'm curious to if that was oh. developed in the blues club in Dublin or the music you listen to uh, uh, coming up or when you were developing your sound. Tell me about that. Oh, um, when you were at the blues club and was that, was it, were you doing particularly Irish? uh, No, uh, I was singer songwriter blues. What were you doing? No, I was, no, it was this, I was brought up with traditional Irish music and rock and roll and blues. And so my, cause we see, we had one record player. There was seven of us in a two bedroom house. So we'd one record player downstairs. So we to share it. So I was really lucky that I got to hear 
all of my, and I was the youngest, I was the surprise baby. My mother thought she was going through menopause, but she was pregnant with me. She was nearly 50. So I got to hear, so so my mum and dad were, were you know, they're, they're quite a lot older than me. So I was lucky enough to be brought up with everything from Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole and Judy Garland and Ella Fitzgerald, all these they were my normal because they were they were their normal. You know, I hear them all the time. And for my yeah. brothers and sisters, from Karen Carpenter to um, David Bowie to the specials, and you know, I heard so much stuff. And and I and I, t- and I took it all into early Johnny Cash and Hank Williams and Muddy Waters, and it went all all over because everybody would want to play something different. So I just soaked it up like a sponge and I used to sit with my head as close to the speaker I used to sit beside it and try and listen to every single thing I could in that speaker you know every I used to let learn the intros to things and the the big band intros to stuff I I try and learn every piece of it and um so when I went to the blues club and with traditional Irish as well I have to say it's very much about feeling if I've been in, in, in pubs where people will sing. Somebody can sing beautifully. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen it happen to, to tourists. A tourist actually came in and had learned a song. And they sat and sang every word and did it beautifully. But they forgot to put their heart in it. And people just start chatting. They just naturally, just not, not in a rude way and not in a conscious way. They'll just kind of drift off a bit. Yeah. Where you might get, I remember some old guy sitting at the bar, had hardly a note in his head. I think he had hardly any teeth in his head either. <laughs> and he put his head back and he just started, Oh, Grace, just hold me in your arms and let this moment linger. The whole pub turned around and they were in. And he just sang with his eyes closed. And, and that's very much a traditional Irish. If you don't sing with your heart, you're done. Nobody's, nobody's interested. I definitely learned that from Irish music. Yeah. And the hypnotic as well, hypnotic rhythms and percussion. And I learned to play the bell wrong. So when I went into the, this blues club as a teenager, my brothers and sisters snuck me in. Um, a lot of the old... Certainly, bluegrass has a lot of Irish vibes in it and that repetitive stuff. And then yeah. when it got into the blues, it moved me very much. I found some kind of um, a lot of the songs, old Irish songs, are about injustice and about oppression and about missing your loved ones when you've been jailed and left in that jail and it's unfair and everybody's out. So then I heard blues and I thought, oh. Hello. And it was a it was similar, similar, not the same, obviously, but but there was there was echoes of it for me and I could relate to it. And I when I started to sing there, I was definitely they put put me under their wing in this club. And it was a lot of really amazing musicians. It was a Monday night and they used to go down to this pub because it was a jam session. Nobody got paid, but there was free sandwiches and beers. And they passed the hat around. And it became this little amazing gig that people who were, I remember some of Van Morrison's band were there, the Hothouse Flowers, the Stunning, all these great musicians would just hang out. 
and would just play and would there was no organization everybody just sit around and play and there were more musicians in that tiny little room than punters which is not unusual for Irish music either and it was just very very beautiful and creative and um I learned how to close my eyes and sing and I thought one thing about blues that that and it was Chicago blues as well sometimes a lot of the repetitiveness of it the way it goes around our 12 bar blues will continuously go around in the same way that old Irish music will you have to make it about the lyrics and the vibe and the feeling because if you don't get that it's actually if you pull it apart it could be quite a simple song yeah and you have to find a, a way to make it really hit home. And the only way to do that is for it to home, hit home with you. And to, to be able to live every word of it. And so that's what I do. And like everybody, I have so many heartaches in all different ways. The same as you and the same as anybody else listening to this and things that you know, upset you and, and scare you, you know, in many ways from all different things. And I do find me, with me for music, I can, and I think as well for me, as I, because I, things went well for me when I was older than a lot, I got to do all my growing without anybody looking and without anybody really listening. And then all the experience of life each year, I'd be able to sing better. And I think that continues and I hope that continues for me. And I put all the joys and the heartbreaks and the pains and the beauty and the, the hope and the despair, everything I have, I definitely put into a song when I sing it. Otherwise, I don't see the point. That was a very long answer. I'm very sorry. No, that was that was fantastic. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Something that you alluded to and it's something that I believe is every culture this is the connection. You found that connection between the Irish music and the blues. Every culture has their blues. Even if uh, a person is not a, a, a secular person, they may have their gospel blues. And so in my life, I didn't know that I was a kid singing with older church members. I didn't know that they were singing Southern country gospel blues from Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. 
they had migrated to California. I was born five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm singing these old country gospel blues songs. And I just thought, this is just what I'm doing. I didn't know that I was inside of a documentary or a or a or mm. a or a, a master class on mm. black American music. I was just doing it, right? Mm. And so when I came to hear the blues at some point in my life, I was like, wait a minute. I know that. I know that sound. I know. I've been singing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, now. When I heard, when I first heard um, the moaning and wailing that the blues can contain, uh, when I first heard John Lee Hooker, you do it when you sing. Not the lyric, but those notes that you sing in between the lyric. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of blues there, and you 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 do it in your songs. But the notes, the feeling, the vibe, when you're vocalizing, when I listen to Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker, mm. I was like, I I used to sing with these people, mm-hmm. and I had to see a picture of them to to make sure that I had never sang with them. Mm-hmm. I hadn't sang. I I never sang with John Lee Hooker. <laughs> But in, but when I was growing up, there was a whole lot of John Lee Hookers that never had made a record. Mm-hmm. And they were singing gospel, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought at the time when I was doing it, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, and my mother would make me go to these church services and sing. I was like, oh, Lord, I got to go sing with these old people again. Mm-hmm. This is how I was. Not knowing that I was building the foundation mm. of everything that I am right now, mm. whatever I am, or even that I want to be, or even whatever I pretend to be. It's I've, I've, I've gleaned something that they gave me and I'm, I'm using it again and again and again. Mm. Your uh, catalog and your, your, oh, I think of a song like um, Black Tears. Mm. The beginning starts off like a like a classic jazz song, and then it goes into you. You just like the sound of your voice is gets bluesier, rockier, <laughs> and then you come right back down. I'm gonna, you know, and then you're off into something else. So you you could sing anything you want to. It's just you have that 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 voice, but. I feel like the co- the core of it is coming from a place that's that's still that that thing, still that that rooted music thing. It's old. It's 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 old, ancient yeah. things that are I think inside you for a long time, and you, there's a part of your heart and your soul I think that has memory. And sometimes, and I think that's why I love that music from all over the world is linked. People, musicians have always traveled. And so you hear, so there's, a, there's an old American song. And then I, I remember singing that to um, this old woman in a pub and she's gone, that's an old Clare song. That's an old, you know, that's from between the Clare and the Galway border. And so, right. you know, and the, the tune probably was. So it would be... Um, <laughs> 
you know, uh, you'd have, you'd maybe have down in the valley, the valley so low, hang your head over and hear the wind blow. So you'd be doing that, where we'd be, um, down in the valley, the valley so low, hang your head over and hear the wind blow, hear the wind blow, love, hear, so there's loads of, it, the same was like you'd get, um, I remember doing with, with Jeff actually, we did, um, oh daddy boy, the pipes, the pipes, and then we just, I said, why don't we change the rhythm of it? And then it turned into, oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they all, they all do that, don't they? Yeah. They all, we, we all do that. We all do that. I think we've all moved to... You know, even with me playing Bauron, when I'm playing when I'm playing the Bauron, this old Irish drum, and then I meet this Turkish girl, and she said, "That's exactly the same. That's a Turkish drum." Right. And it, you know, <laughs> isn't it amazing? I was. Um, I love it. I love that. I I was on. Uh, oh, I don't. I, I don't. Can't remember what if I was on a show like. Uh, maybe it was. Songs of Praise, or maybe it was some BBC show or something like that. They asked me, oh, do a gospel song. So I sang, uh, he looked beyond all my faults and saw my needs, so, mm. which is amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For yes. it was grace. So which is, oh, Danny boy, right? Yeah. And, 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 and I remember some comments on YouTube saying, Oh, this is nothing but uh, he's a thief. This is nothing but old Danny Boy. No, <laughs> no. I was like, an amazing no. grace was a Scottish <laughs> tune and originally, and now I think they all they all sit so beautifully together. And I love, yeah, I love that about music. I love, um, I love going to the heart of it. And one thing that I've decided that I'm going to do, um. I'm talking about doing is that I find in old Irish music because the country was anglicized and the language was taken um, because that's a very quick way of taking over country is to change its language because you lose so much. So all the old songs and all the old poetry that have been gone for centuries, all of a sudden you, you don't know what they're saying. And so, so many people in Ireland speak Irish. And now it starts to get a resurgence. And I really, really want to learn how to speak Irish fluently. I have, I have enough to have a conversation, but I really want to know those songs. And I want to know that poetry, know them without translating them. Because there's so much that I feel that I've lost and missed out on all these beautiful old songs. So that's my new adventure forward because I think there's so many um I, I have a lot to learn, you know, I have a lot to learn. When you say that 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 the soul and our being has a history and you feel like this can be particularly true for a singer because you feel like sometimes you can hit a note or have a feeling or have a make an utterance musically 
that you feel is beyond yourself. And it had to come from culture. It had to come. Sometimes I feel like I'm singing a song that that is it, of my ancestors. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know where in Africa, where in where in West Africa it came from, but it's without question from there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a mystical thing for me now because I have no connection to that land and to that language, but there's still something that I feel there. You know, nothing that anybody told me that I'm I'm supposed to have, but it's just something that I feel. You know, it's a memory. It's something that goes deep, deep, deep down many layers, you know, and we wear only the the very top surface soil. And underneath that, it goes all the way down to these different areas that have been compressed and ancient rock are the foundations of it all. And there'll be more layers on top of us. And this is us for now. But it it is down in there with us. I yeah. do think I do think there's memory within us. I like to think that there is, that there's echoes of our ancestors inside us, inside all of us that you have to tap into. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I draw on that, that inspiration for sure, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, without question. So you, I, the first time we met and I heard you was with Jules Holland. Oh, yes. Yeah, how long have you guys had a musical relationship? Well, well, he gave me a, one of my big breaks, if not my the the break was the that. same, same, same here. Yeah, and my UK. He gave break. me my break. Yeah, I'd done this little jazz club. I I was in other people's bands for a long time, and I was doing function work, and I was trying to pay bills, and then I I had my own band, and I was working as a waitress and a carer, and I remember there was this little. Uh, gig. So when I started my, I was doing. I decided that's it. If I'm, I'm going to leave all the bands I'm in. I really believe my own stuff, and I'm just going to do this. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I got it. I have to do this. So I set up my own band, and I started to call all the clubs that I'd been singing in for a long time at other people's clubs and say, with other people's bands, say, can you give me a chance? Like, give me a Monday night or a Wednesday, your first opening slot, whatever you can give me um, because I want to get these songs. I want to get them gigged. I want to live with them, you know, and uh, this little club in Sheffield gave me a gig and it went really well. Everybody, it was packed out. I think they were starting to get a little bit of a vibe, you know, people started to come and and, um, I believe someone that was working with Jules was there the next night they were at and they heard everyone talking and before I know it, I got, asked to open for him in Kew Gardens in one gig and I did and the next thing I know I got a list of a tour can you open for me on the whole tour (laughs) and I was so thrilled and I went on tour and opened for me each night and then on a side note I have to tell you a little bit my my um my business head in that I remember thinking if this is 2,000 people in here if I get 10% 10% or even 5% of his audience, I'll get 100 people to a gig. If I get even less, if I get 50 quid. So I would book, I would, I went, I called everywhere and I booked a gig in that town for like a month later. And, and I, and I followed his tour around and I, I made all these leaflets and I asked him if I could put them on the seats. 
And I put them on the seats in every venue. And I said, I'll be down the road in the tiniest venue in a month if you want to come. And then I did a little, I did a little tiny echoey tour of duels in the tiniest venues in every town afterwards. And I got about 50 people and I, <laughs> that was my savvy. Yeah, very cool. When was and then this? I got a, when was this? Oh, this is, God, it must be, well, it's easily about 16 years ago, 15 years ago. Okay. And then I got a call from him and Natalie Cole was supposed to be on. I was in Ireland and um, I got a call. Natalie Cole was supposed to be on the show, but she she got ill. She got a, a, a cold or a cough or something. And um, he said, can you get your ass here um, like tomorrow? And I <laughs> screamed the house down. I remember my mother thought, that something was wrong and I jumped on a plane and I went over and I sang um, and then everything kicked off. Then I got record companies calling me and Is this, so the you phone did the, was hopping. You, you did his show or you did? I did his show and, okay. and it just went crazy. Yeah. It went crazy after that. Every The phone was just hopping and I got offered a couple of record deals and and that I already actually, they'd come to see me and turn me down. And then they called up again and said, can we talk again? <laughs> so I owe Jules a lot. And I've been lucky, I'm lucky enough to call him a friend now. He's very, very good to me. And um, I often ask him for advice. And, and uh, I love him dearly. Yeah, yeah. generous, generous. He's a great beautiful, guy. Beautiful person. He's a great soul. How about you? Jules? Um, yeah. I had no business being on his show. I had no energy. I had done, oh, I bet you know this club. Oh, man, you guys have so many weird names of clubs in, in the UK. Not Hogs and the Hound. What the hell was the name of this club? Where was it? Yeah, yeah, it was in the UK. I'm trying to describe this club in my head. And I was going to say, oh, you know, you walk in and it has green tile on the walls. And that's like every damn club. <laughs> every pub, you know. It was basically a pub. But it had... Um, it had a music room in the in, in the back. I couldn't even tell you where it was. But anyway, I had like really small gigs in the UK. Some jazz, specifically jazz clubs, but some not. Mm. Mm. Band on the wall. This was maybe a, maybe a little bit later. Band on the wall because that's that's a decent size. Anyway, Jules had heard one of my songs and he was like, Oh, of course you got to have that guy. Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> and, isn't he uh, fabulous? I had no energy, no big hit or anything. And I came on and he was like, I, I was thinking I had to have my band. I needed to do some big, huge song. He was like, come on and do a ballad with me at piano. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell kind of TV show is this? Yeah. I hadn't seen his TV show yet. And I was like, Oh wow. I was like, what kind of, what kind of shit is this where I can come and do a song on the piano? Nobody a allows for such things unless it's in the pandemic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I got to go on and sing one of my songs, Illusion, from my first record. And it was beautiful. It felt beautiful. He was gracious. He was shy. When I came into the yeah. dressing room, my heart is like... You know, this guy has a TV yeah. show. I'm just a peon from, yeah. you know. And we come on, and to this day, many people talk about that performance. You're like, you know, you know how you first grabbed me? It was Jules Holland. And and yeah. and, and so I thank him. 
on my, on my most recent album, there's a song called Mr. Holland. And I wrote oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wrote it from my experience at his house. He invited me to his house in, in Kent. Mm-hmm. Came in, we ate, and introduced me to his children, you know. Christabel. Yeah, right. Rosie May, take a dive in yeah. the pool. And so I remember it, we listened to some blues records. We went out back and mm-hmm. wrote a blues song. All of mm-hmm. this soulful stuff was happening. And I was like, man, what a gracious. And and so I started to think in my head, I was trying to to find a way to write a social song, but in a more clever way. Mm-hmm. So the experience that I had with Jules, his welcoming vibe, his 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 colorblindness, his, you know, he's almost he has a lot of cars. He's almost shy about it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's 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 a cool guy, right? So I had had a bad experience in my teenage years when I had a, a, a crush on this girl. I was 15 or 16. And I went to her house and I, I got turned away by the father. He, he called me a racial name and told me to, to go away. Oh, no. Oh, my right. God. And then I thought about, for some reason, I just recall going to Mr. Holland's door. And he opened the wow. door, welcomed me in, treated me like I was grown, like I was at home, gave me some food, said, there's your room. Nothing was a problem, right? And I just thought, I I thought about that, man, what if this would have happened when I was 15? If they would have just treated me like I was a regular guy, just treated me like I was just a regular guy, what would have happened? Maybe I would have come inside, had a soda, smiled at the girl that I had a crush on and left, right? I was just trying to have a teenage experience, right? So I took the warm open, gracious experience that I had with Jules. And I thought about that, and I wrote the song, Mr. Holland. Hello, Mr. Holland. Thank you for making no trouble of my skin. It's not a problem, nor has it ever been. Thank you for treating me like a regular Joe, a regular Bill. I'm I'm basically thanking him for treating me like a human being. Now, that suggests that somewhere outside of that environment, I'm not being treated with respect and with equality. Hello, Mr. Holland. And Rosie may come out and play. I, I'm, I'm imagining that his, you know, lovely daughter is, is, a, is a love interest of mine. She's not, but, you know, for creative sake. So I took the most beautiful experience that I had, hanging out with Jules, and the most negative experience that I had, and I put them together. And, and 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 wrote the song. But yeah, he's a soulful dude. He's a soulful dude. And I I I am appreciative to him in many ways for helping me in my career, but really just being cool, you know? That's, you know, sometimes the outside of the show business thing, it's it's just cool to meet somebody who's just a dope person, you know? So yeah. He's an amazing guy. Yeah. I love him very much. Mm-hmm. He's really good. And both him and Christabel are lovely. They've been there for me. When I've needed them, and vice versa, I, I, yeah, they're great people. He's just a—he's absolutely. Do you know? Yeah. I I had um, for a while. I got my own TV show in mm-hmm. Ireland, mm. called the Amelda May Show. And the producers came to me and said, 
and um, we want to do the show, but we want to do it with you. And uh, I wasn't so I wasn't so sure with the time that I had with what I was doing, and I was touring and all the rest of it. And it wasn't a um, it was definitely going to be a labor of love. There was there was no money in it really. There was, but it was going to take up a lot of my my time and effort. And I was fully hands on with it. They heard me complaining on an interview how there wasn't enough. I didn't find that there was enough music shows like Jules's show that were so creative and so open and so musical and just warm and welcoming and had a good mixture of established acts and up and coming acts that yeah. help, helped both. So the, this producer helped me, heard me speak about it and said, you want to, you want to, kind of put your money where your mouth is and then I I couldn't refuse so I I said okay I'll do it okay I'll, I'll do it and it, it it was really it was um definitely a labor of love and I fought really hard for some up-and-coming acts that producers would want obviously the ratings and it was trying to balance I was asked friends of mine to come onto the show and and really try and help bands that I, I'd go around and I'd I was watching on the the acoustic stage early on at the festivals, you know, finding yeah. people and bringing them on. And some of them had done really well. However, I was aware that it was a total ripoff of Jules's show because this is what happened in Ireland, which often happens between countries that people will see yeah. some works. And so I said to Jules, they've asked me to do this and I'm not sure, you know, and, and I, like, I don't want to do a ripoff of your show Certainly not if, if you're not into it and I'm happy to change it. What do you think? What do you think I should do? Which I often ask him with many things. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, not only do I think you should do it, but I would like to be your very first guest. <laughs> and I said, okay. So when the show opened... We discussed it. We thought it'd be a lot of fun if I started off on the other side of the room and I walked to the room like he did. And then, you know, he walked all the way around. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Jules Holland. And he started the whole show. <laughs> that is how cool Jules is. That's no, I, love it. I 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 love it. He's such Very a great cool. guy. Amazing, man. This is, you know. We could probably go for another hour if we had to, but <laughs> this has I been know. amazing. These these gifts that you've that you've given, and really, how interesting the parallels were when you talked about your family, you know, one record player and and seven kids. I was like, yeah, that was us, <laughs> man. And that is what informs my music today. My brothers were listening to, you know, the latest soul music and George Clinton, mm. Parliament, Funkadelic, right. My mother had gospel and Nat King Cole. And, and, and I feel like, you know, between these polar extremes, somewhere I'm in the middle. But you all were of born. that. Yeah, all of that is informing me. And it's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it's really, mm. really cool to hear about this, the small club experiences that you were having for, for many years. This is my story as well. And just like we talked about the blues. And the blues be existing in every culture. So does our musical stories. Mm. The way that I came about, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's almost uncanny. Even even the way that I I come to prominence 
you know, with help from the same guy, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Isn't really it funny, re- funny when you get talking. Yeah. Yeah. When you get yeah. chatting, because we've worked together before, but we haven't had any time to sit and talk. You right, know, we've rehearsed right. and it's, you know, quick time to get a coffee and a sandwich and then you're on stage and then afterwards you're having a drink and there's loads of people around. This right. has been lovely. This has been amazing and beautiful. And it informs me. You know, when I listen to your music now, I'll have a just a deeper understanding of, of where it is you're coming from. So thank you. Ditto. Yeah, yeah, right on. Thank you. Thank you so Ditto. much. And it's been amazing. Oh, thank you, Gregory. You're such a lovely man. You're yeah. such a good soul and a good heart. Oh, you. And you can sweetheart. feel that off you all the time. All right. You're just lovely. <laughs> thank you for letting me interrupt, Take care. interrupt your day. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have to tell you quickly before you, uh, my family are so bonkers and eccentric and my dad is wild uh, he he just he takes out the accordion and <laughs> sings and he he does all these things but I remember this will give you a laugh my brother my brother's a taxi driver and he was driving this um family they were Japanese family who'd been on holiday yeah. and he was driving them back to the airport Brendan is my brother and he said to them uh, so what gigs did you get did you go to some good traditional sessions and they're like, oh, no, we didn't hear any. We didn't hear any music while we were here. And he went, what? What time is your flight? And he told them and he pulled the car into the lay-by, got into the boot, took out his accordion and started playing them <laughs> by the side of the road. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it sounds he like you got that from your father, really. Yeah? <laughs> he said, I couldn't let them go off back to Japan without them ever hearing any music. <laughs> <laughs> What an amazing time to spend with Imelda May. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, my friends. It means a lot that you choose to spend time with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Shall we do it again? Okay, see you on the next one. I'm Gregory Porter, and this has been The Hang, a Cup and Nuzzle production.